Well, today the message is, where can I park my ego? Not my Yugo, my ego. Remember a few years ago there was a car, it was a Yugo. We fixed it one time in the body shop, it was a Yugo. And uh, I imagine Darren just sold tons of that. So where can I park my ego? We all have an ego. We've all experienced it. Here's a description of ego. Uh, if you want to uh, insert pride in this, you can. But the motive is to act in one's own, own self-interest. In other words, what's best for me? And also you perceive the world and interpret the world uh, and the events of the world to your own advantage. And also you will evaluate yourself really I'll put it this way, more highly than you really are. In other words, you have elevated yourself. And ego can be self-absorbed, highly focused on ourselves. So there's, there's two ways that ego can go here. One is self-exalting. That's pretty, that's pretty apparent. It's arrogant egotistical, boastful, self-grandizing. And also it can turn the other way. You can be self-critical or self-loathing or self-hating. It's still an absorption of self. And that develops a negative attitude, abusiveness, unfriendly, withdrawn, oppressive, bitter, rebellious, depressed, defeated, being offensive, or easily offended. Now, all this was pretty easy to describe because I just looked at myself. I could just name them right off. Well, ego will lie to you. It will cheat. It will commit adultery. It will commit willful sin. It will damage others. Through what they do, it will damage their reputation. It will get revenge. And it will hold grudges. I want to read... <coughs> I'm going to read for you in 1 Corinthians. We're all familiar with the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm going to read 4 through 7, and I'm going to read them what I call backwards. The opposite of what it means. Well, ego is not patient and kind. Ego is jealous and boastful, and is proud and rude. Ego does demand its own way. Ego is irritable. And ego keeps a record of being wrong. Ego does rejoice about injustice and does not rejoice whenever the truth is told. Ego gives up, loses faith. Ego is not hopeful and is not endured through every circumstance. <clears throat> ego does not put God's word first, and ego does not believe God's promises. Ego can arrest or hinder or suppress the operation of spiritual gifts in a church because of ego of possibly the leaders of the church or the pastor of the church. The gifts of the church do not operate because perhaps it's the boastful or arrogant attitude of the leader of the church. 
or leaders. Saying, you know, I carry these gifts. All these gifts that we have, we see in twelve uh, chapters of uh, Corinthians, are given to us. Anything that's given to us, we didn't manufacture anything like that. You see a lot of ministries fail that are operating in the gifts or have been, and they fail because of the arrogance and pride and ego of the leader. It's a tragic thing. I always, I always, you know, check yourself out sometimes. Let's say that you've been given a gift, a gift of healing, for example. And, and every, every time, let's say it starts real simple, you come up here and you pray, and you know, um, boy, Roger prayed for me, and, and I got totally healed. And pretty soon someone hears about that, and next Sunday there's three, four people up here. And Roger lays hands on them, they're healed. Pretty soon it gets around in the community and the church fills up and there's all kinds of people up here and Rogers gets going down and, and laying hands on them. They're all healed. Roger, you, you buy that? That sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> what's going to go on in Roger's heart or what's going to go on in my heart or anybody's heart? Is there going to be a time when, say, I will elevate? Look what God is doing with me. And that will hinder a lot of those promises, those operations of gifts in the church. We need to be reminded what James 4 says. James was a pastor in the church in Jerusalem. And he had a lot of new, new people, come people coming in all the time. And he really had to get after him here. He had, uh, you got to remember, he's a pastor here. And, and these people are coming out of paganism and, and all kinds of unbelief. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to just kind of go through chapter 4 of James here a little bit. He says, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. And yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want but will give you pleasure. You adulterers. When he said adulterers there, he meant adultery between us and God, not, you know, uh, uh, outside of marriage or anything, but anything that steps us away from God, this is the adultery he's talking about. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? You know, I thought about that is I don't want an enemy mind of God. I don't want my mind to be an enemy of God. How devastating that would be. So he says, what do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit has placed within us, the spirit that is placed within us is filled with envy? Just think, through this, James talking to his church, the same way in the church in Corinth, talking to the church, and they're doing all these things. They're, they're so misguided in so many ways, but they still have the Holy Spirit in them. They still have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. He says, don't you know that Holy Spirit is in you? And he is envious of what you do and think and how you treat one another. He says, why do you think he's there? <clears throat> but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scripture said, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. This is why he is talking about this adulterous situation. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. The Lord always wants to lift up. He always wants to straighten things out and turn around and exalt you. He wants to lift you up. He doesn't want to keep you suppressed, unhappy, uh, sad. He wants you, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, joy. He wants to lift, lift us up. He wants to lift up his church. Don't speak evil against one another, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law. Now, this is not the Mosaic law, but instead of law, you could have put in there God's way of prescribing things. God's prescription for eternal life. Not to judge whether it applies to you. God, God alone, who gave the law, is the judge, and he alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you or I have to judge our neighbor? <clears throat> Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to, going to a certain town and stay there for a year, and we will do business there and make a profit. And how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? It's nothing wrong with deciding to do a business and making a profit. But he goes on to say, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wills us to do or wants us to do, we will live and do this or do that. As long as we confront him first, we uh, ask for his guidance uh, Full, full boat ahead, full steam ahead. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Also in the Corinthian church, when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthian church, the church was about three years old, and here's what was going on in that church. <clears throat> we're talking about ego, what ego does and pride does. Uh, they, were, they should have been... They should have been growing up by this time. He says, you guys are like babies. You still need milk. You should be eating steak by this time. You should be into the deep meaning of the word of God. <clears throat> they were talking about social rank. There was they were sexually immoral. There was incest going on. Lawsuits against one another. They were eating food offered to idols. And even though it bothered some people greatly, they did it anyway. They didn't care. They were too selfish their egos didn't, uh, just, no problem, we're going to do it anyway. They had problems with the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk, they were overeating, they were sitting at the table, they wouldn't let other people sit down. It was just a chaos that they did. Again, their egos were full force. They were failing to use their spiritual gifts to edify the church. They didn't think it was important enough. They had better ways of doing things. And they were denying the bodily resurrection. They were also... Uh, were not conforming to the desired plan that, that Paul had laid out for them, which was from the Lord, how to run a church. Other biblical examples we see of arrogance and pride and ego, <clears throat> King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was handsome. You know, that's how that term head and shoulders came into our English language, really. Was, he was head and shoulders, the Bible says, above everyone else. So he was the ideal king. He was handsome. Uh, his uh, stature and everything. 
and he was uh, and he was picked, you know, by the prophet Samuel at that time, and it was the perfect situation. So what does he do? He he actually offers. Uh, first of all, he diso- disobeys, and when he does disobey, he prays to the Lord, and then he says, "Now you got to do this." Uh, he, he, I tell you, uh, the, the ego was in full force here. It demanded of God for his deliverance from certain things. And, of course, it ended up very tragic. He wanted to even kill his own son. And he, he was consulting mediums. And uh, it really ended up to be a tragic life. King Nebuchadnezzar, this guy was something else. He says, you know, I want you to build a statue of me 90 feet tall. And uh, whenever you hear an instrument, I want you to drop down and worship. This guy had it. Want an eagle? Yeah, this guy had it. So what happened to him? He ends up on all fours uh, because he just defied the, the God and, and his people. That's you know the the, the three the three Jewish uh, young guys in the in the lion's den and that story. That was Nebuchadnezzar was the king at that time. So he ends up on all fours eating grass like a cow, and he had a covering of feathers over him. And uh, he had no place to rest because he had dew on his, on his back uh, you know, from the morning sleeping outside. And so this story ends up pretty good because he actually, actually gives God glory at the, at the end. And Pharaoh is another one. Pharaoh was so stubborn, even though his people were uh, getting plagues of flies, locusts, frogs, all the rivers and all the water sources were turning into blood. And he would not bend. He would not. His ego was well intact. His pride was well intact. And he would not let them go. Also, that ended sadly for him. Also, Satan, who is the author of rebellion, the author of ego, uh, what did he say? I'm going to rise above this God. I am going to be, although he was a created being, I'm going to rise above him. I am going to be more important than he is. And that transferred, when sin came in the garden, that's what transferred into the human race. How about the disciples? They argued amongst each other and said, who is the greatest? Who's the greatest? We do that at our elder meetings every night. We sit and argue, who's the greatest? Well, we can do that. Mike's gone, so that's what we do. Yeah, no, just... So, what did, what did Jesus tell them? He told them, the one who serves is the greatest. And, of course, we talked about this last week of the washing of the feet. I was describing what, what humility does. Humility actually exalts us. <clears throat> so we wonder, you know, we always ask this question. We, we, get, we hear it a lot, you know, especially with young Christians. And they say, well, why are there so many denominations? Why are there, why are there all these denominations? Catholics, uh, Presbyterians. Methodists, Lutherans, uh, Baptists, on and on. Well, I want to read for you in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It says, Therefore, I, a prisoner uh, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, 
binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Is that pretty clear? That's pretty clear. So why all the denominations? Well, here's what Google says. Google says there are 45,000 Christian denominations. Not, not religions, Christian denominations. How can that possibly be? Well, denominations are made up of churches. Churches are made up of people. And now we get into the problem. People, even Christians, struggle with ego. Pride, selfishness, stubbornness, desire for power or authority or status. That ability is there for all of us. Almost all religions have that same problem, by the way. You know, they all have different sects and, and different divisions. It isn't like there's a perfect, we all believe and you know, we stay there. So all religions, you know, suffer that. You know, I always think, you know, when you, a, a lot, you know, a, a lot of times when people leave the church, you know, they usually leave a church because of personality clashes. Very seldom do people leave uh, because of doctrine or false teaching. Uh, and here's why. I believe that if you have a congregation that operates in love, uh, your doctrines will get worked out. You'll, you'll see the truth. Because faith works by love. You'll get the right faith. You'll get it right. If you operate in love, you'll get the right doctrine. Instead of having a clash of personalities and so on and so forth. <coughs> Didn't work this time. <coughs> well, several years ago, there was a... Uh, there was a tanker that was going across the Pacific Ocean, and it sank. And all the crew was lost. Uh, at least this is what they presumed. The whole crew was lost. And so they gave up all rescue efforts and stuff like that. It so happened there was one of the sailors had uh, found a piece of something to, to, you know, to keep him afloat, and he ended up on this little island. <clears throat> And so he gets on this island, and this island, it turns out, has enough resources for him to stay alive. You know, he has things to eat, and he has some resources there to build a structure, a home, and stuff like that. And so there was an archaeological, archaeological ship came through, and, they, and they, they, they kind of discovered this island. So they sent some people aboard and check it out. And so they come aboard, and they find out, here's this guy who's been living here for several years. I talked to him a little bit, and he just, you know, oh, how'd you do this? Well, I, you know, I, I had enough to live on and everything, you know. Showed him his house where he lived and everything. And so, you know, they're looking at his house and everything, and then he showed him he had made a little chapel or a little church. And, uh, and they were impressed with that, you know, and, well, then there was another little building down the, down the way a little bit. And I said, what that's, what's that building for? Well, he says, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> so, 
so he can work all by himself. <laughs> Philippians 2, 1 through 9 says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave his name above all names. And you can see how God elevates. God wants to elevate. God wants to raise up. <clears throat> but we know that pride, ego, will destroy families. It will destroy relationships of all kinds that will destroy businesses, that will destroy governments, that will destroy churches. It's plain destructive ego. And that's what these verses are alluding to. So what would be a remedy for that? Well, we just read that in Philippians chapter 2. But knowing that, and we want to seek a remedy for pride or for ego, we must have in our hearts a foundation of love. That is a must-have. We have to be totally convinced that God loves us. And we definitely have to know our identity in Christ, who I am in Christ. In John 3, 1, it says, that how great is the Father's love that he would call us children of God. We need to be Christ-absorbed and not self-absorbed. And love is the total antidote for ego or for pride. We know that when we are loved, our ego starts to melt, starts to go away. And we are lying ourselves with Philippians 2, like the words we read, and put the Lord and others first. Love always elevates. Love gives true value to us, real value, and not just an elated value that we submit to ourselves of our own making. And love always encourages and gives confidence. We can look at some scriptures, uh, examples of what happens when ego is gone? We think of Peter. Remember Peter stood with the Lord and said, wherever you go, Lord, uh, nothing's going to deter me. I'll stick with you side by side. Well, you know, he did for a while when he come out of the garden and these soldiers came to arrest Jesus. You know, and he pulls out his sword, you know, and he cuts off the ear of that one of the soldiers. Well, I don't think he was just going a little touche. I'll show you how good I am with the sword. I think he was going to cut his head off. I think he was going to flat out whack him good big time. But 
what happened as they arrested Jesus, started taking him away, the situation looked pretty dark, and they started, you know, uh, treating him uh, uh, harshly, and he stood by the wayside, and we know the story, three times he denied him. Are you one of them? Aren't you one of them? I thought I saw you with him. Oh, no, no, not me. No. Three times he did that. Of course, he, he grieved over that. He felt horrible over that. But how did he turn out? How did he turn out when... It, see, ego protects oneself like that. And it'll lie to do that. But how did he turn out? He gives a sermon in Acts where 3,000 people are saved. Just like, you know, in, in one day. And the healing that was put on him, the gift of healing, as with the other apostles, he would walk along and they'd lay their, they'd lay their sick and infirm people and he would walk by, and even the shadow of him would, just, would, would touch them, and they'd be healed. And, of course, what did he say at the end of one of his letters? He said, my departure is at hand. No problem. I'm going, no problem. He got rid of his ego. In the, in the church in Acts 2, I'll read that in Acts 2, 42, 47. It says, this is what happens when ego goes away or pride goes away. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Their ego was gone. How about Paul? Or how about Stephen? I'll mention Stephen first. Stephen, in chapter 7 of Acts, Full of the Holy Spirit. He had just given a diatribe on to the, the, the Jews standing around and says, here's what you did. And he goes, starts off with, the, with when Abraham entered uh, in, uh, on his journey all the way to the, to the time that they uh, crucified Jesus. And he, he led the whole thing. If you want a quick reference of the Bible, just read Acts 7 and Stephen's, Stephen's little uh, speech. Very accurate, very quick. So what do they do? They start stoning him. You know, he must have been standing up when he was being stoned because it says he dropped to his knees. And, you know, I was reading that, and I thought, you know, I, I, it says he dropped to his knees and he prayed or he worshipped. How many of us would do that? Or we're getting stoned. He was probably standing up, getting hit. What's the first thing you'd do if you're getting stoned? You'd probably protect your head. But he dropped to his knees. You know why he dropped to his knees? I think he just wanted to, to confront the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? Don't hold this against him. Don't hold, you know, he, did, he wasn't crying out, hey, help me, I need help. I, 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 this is an amazing story. This is absolutely one of my favorite, if not other than the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This story. What the Holy Spirit filled in you will do to a human being. It's amazing. He, he had no ego. He had no pride. And how about Paul? What did Paul end up saying? All the things that Paul went through. Paul at one time 
was persecuting Christians, locking them up, putting them in prison, killing them, separating families, taking children from their families. And he was one time was the when they started talking about Paul, the other apostles, is that the Paul? You mean that the Paul? That was arresting everybody? Well, he had a conversion. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ego is gone. So where do we park our ego? Where do I park my ego? Well, at the foot of the cross. That's where we park it. You know, we all have a carnal ability. We all have flesh that we live in. We're all susceptible to sin. We can't cast out our flesh. But here's what we can do with that. We can disarm it. We can crucify it. We can count it dead and give it no place of operation. The Bible says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So we don't want to let it be empowered. So here's four things that we can do in closing. Number one, read the scriptures. It sounds pretty obvious, but We need to read the scriptures. We need to find out who this God is. We need to find out what he wants. We need to find out what he's like. We need to to read stories of what happened to those that embraced him as Lord and Savior. We need to embrace his promises. We need to read the scriptures. I know we have a lot of excuses. I know we're busy. And if I was the devil, I'd make the world so busy they didn't have time to sleep. But that's his plan. I'll keep you so busy, you don't, you know, it would be ridiculous to pray. You don't have time for it. But we need to read the scriptures. The scriptures open us the life of God. The scriptures open up the Holy Spirit's teaching. The scriptures open up the way to eternal life. We need to read the scriptures. That's a discipline. We don't like that word. Our old flesh don't like the word. I don't like the word discipline. I don't like the word obey. I don't like the word command. I don't like them words. My flesh don't like them words. But yet we're required to do it. If we're going to be involved in anything, no matter if it's a sport or a business or a relationship, an earthly relationship, we have to put time into it. We have to know this. What we're, if I'm going to play a game, I've got to know the rules. I've got to know how it goes. That's going to take some discipline. And when you read the scriptures, read relevant ones. You know, start with ones. And maybe the new covenant. You know, there's the old covenant and the new covenant. Maybe start in the new covenant. You know, that's, our, that's what's relative to today. Don't get bogged down in Leviticus and say, boy, I ain't getting much out of this. Huh. Don't blame you. So, so go to the scriptures that, you know, and, and now with, with the internet, You know, I feel lonely today. I don't know what to do about loneliness. I don't know what to do about fear. 
Well, you got to, you know, just look it up. The scriptures will fly off the page for you. The, the Word of God is exploding over the world. I know there's other bad things on the Internet, but the Word of God explodes over the Internet. Uh, number two, learn to pray. I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. I, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but I, I challenge myself with this every day, learning to pray. I find myself so much time, I'll start... I, I, Start praying, and pretty soon I'm thinking about what I have to do today, or what I did, or something. And I, and I have to reel it in. Lord, sorry, we're going to try this again, Lord. Uh, give me five minutes. Let's try that. So I'll, I'll get into prayer, and you'll stay there, and, and stay there, and pretty soon you, you, you'll sense your spirit. It's kind of, okay, you're, you're falling into the groove here a little bit. I first learned this when I'd go to bed. I'd lay my head on the pillow. And there's times, I, you know, I would, I would think to myself, maybe I had a terrible day, a horrible day. And I would, you know, I would, uh, I think, there's, there, you know, you go, you're tired, you know. I, I don't feel like praying. There is no way I'm going to pray. And when I put my head on a pillow, I just start opening my mouth and I say, Lord, I know you forgive me. You're the God of forgiveness. And I can start it, and I'm pretty soon I, re I really start to pray. I just really love to pray, and that's how I fall asleep every night. You know, I'm not saying this, oh, wow, be so spiritual. I, I, this is all, you know, I had to do this uh, all the time. So learn to engage in prayer. And I know, I. Uh, that's a horrible feeling, but I know when I'm praying plastic prayers. You know, prayers that ain't going anyplace. And I, I, I feel that identity right away. That's a plastic prayer. That, that, that ain't going anyplace, because I know my heart isn't behind it. So I have to readjust, and, and, and okay, let's start this over again. And the best way to do that is to just to start emulating the Lord, just lifting him up. Lord, you are, and then put an adjective in there. Lord, you're, you're a compassionate God, slow to anger. Lord, you gave everything you had to save me. And those kind of words and those kind of phrases start activating your prayer life, start activating your spirit. The third one is take account of your thought life. That's another one to monitor, like prayer, you know. This is very simple. It, what I am thinking is this from the Holy Spirit, or is this from my flesh nature? And really, the Bible says, if it's from our flesh nature, it's demonic. It is. So if this is something God wouldn't say to me, I shouldn't be harboring it in my mind. Paul said, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, the way Christ would think. The same way. And that's attainable because he wouldn't tell us to do it otherwise if we couldn't do it. I think Satan takes target practice at our mind. I just think he goes, I'll see if they'll take that thought. Or he'll suggest something else. That can come through your own thoughts or other people. He just takes target practice at our mind. The Bible has proof of this. In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, we talk about putting all the armor of God. It talks about the 
flaming missiles or flaming arrows from the evil one. And a better one yet is in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Satan blinds the minds of those who are perishing. How does he blind our minds? Thinking. What are are our thoughts? What are we thinking about? So we need to take account of our thought life. And the last one is practice silence. Practice meditation. The Lord speaks when we're silent more than any other time. When we're silent, if we listen, and we have to know we don't listen from out here, this booming voice. It comes from within. It comes from inside. It comes from our spirit. Remember that. That needs to work. It works from within, inside. And meditating, we're meditating all the time. We're thinking of something all the time. It kind of goes back to our taking account of our thought life. So... <clears throat> These are things to get rid of the damaging effect of our ego. Where do we park our ego? Right at the foot of the cross. 